Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's be lovers. Yeah.
This song is Let's Be Lovers by Talia's Fan and the Bright and Morning Star Band. And I'm Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. Today I'm joined by author and ranking tour Mark Jacobson. As a as a journalist, he's he's written for New York Magazine, Village Voice, National Geographic. As an author, he's known for a number of books, including The Lampshade, a Holocaust detective story from Buchenwald to New Orleans, which comes highly recommended, and Pale Horse Rider, the uh, biography of William Cooper. He also contributed to my uh, book about uh, Gabriel Urantia called New Age Grifter. He wrote the introduction in which he addressed the mythic Woodstock of frustrated rock stars who become cult leaders. And that's the subject of today's episode. Anybody who ever went to uh, any of these gigantic rock concerts, like from Woodstock on, which there have been millions, you know, come out of it. And then they say, you mean you you went to Burning Man? Oh, I now you're part of my group, you know. I mean, there's this kind of little chip in there um, for in the human in the human species that uh, seems to want to do this on some level. And because it keeps happening. Right. So you know, and probably will happen forever. So, uh, you know, music is interesting and always, if you want to be a cult leader, of course, you want to be the center of of attention, your narcissism. So like, you know, who's more, you know, David Bowie comes out on on the stage. I mean, he's a center of attraction. You know, he's uh, any of these famous rock and roll stars. So why not do it? So, you know, somebody like Charles Manson, he actually was a very talented guitar player. One of the things that people don't really know about him, <laughs> you know, he actually was a talented guitar player. I mean, David Koresh, for instance, who was trying, who, you know, kept his group together through music, um, was not a very talented guitar player. Uh, and you can hear it in, in the music. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, if you're operating in the people's temple, and that one of the things you might play today um the music from the People's Temple Choir, that's the Jim Jones uh, thing for people that don't know. I mean, that stuff, it's not first grade gospel music, but it's good. I mean, people would assume that most cult music is terrible. and um, But that's not really the case. I mean, for instance, one person we could talk about is Jeremy Spencer. Um, Jeremy Spencer was an original guy from Fleetwood Mac. And he was recruited by Peter Green, if you're a fan of this kind of like you know that kind of guitar music peter green is basically considered to be one of the three or four best guys ever better than uh better than jeff beck or jimmy page or any of these cats so um so he was he was he, he uh, recruited jeremy spencer for the original fleetwood mac with nick fleetwood and um john mcvive long before 
Stevie Nicks and all this other stuff. Um, and they would go around. And one day, Spencer was mostly a slide guitar player in the Elmore James version mode. Um, and then, and he was considered to be one of the best. I mean, of these British guys, you know, easily the equal of Eric Clapton. So, um, uh, and then one day he didn't show up for a gig and they didn't hear from him for months. And uh, he was in the Children of God, which uh, for people that follow this kind of stuff is probably one of the most notorious of all cults. Um, and he still actually is alive and has ties to them. But if you listen to his music that he did for uh, when he was, a, I think he, he released a record called Jeremy Spencer and the Children, which, which has a lot of good songs on it. You'd never know. <clears throat> I mean, you'd never know. And with the, uh, and with the uh, People's Temple Choir, I mean, there's, there's some of them, not all of them are great, but I mean, there's some of them that just, you know, wow. What, what do I care what the philosophy of this group is? I like the music, you know? Let's listen to a little Jeremy Spencer and the children. Okay. One, two, one, two, three, four. I love I'm looking at the uh, Jeremy Spencer and the children cover right now. And it's like a cartoon picture of a guy in a robe with like a, a sigh, like the grim reaper. And it's just surrounded by like all this American culture, like fast cars and electric guitars and 
riot cops and motorcycles and then like two little children in diapers like pointing at the grim reaper well you know it's just that that what what the children of god was they were kind of one of those luddite cults you know that we've got to go back to the garden type thing you know sort of similar to paul pot in a weird way because he was he was he was a let's pave it we have to pave it all over and start again because the society is too ruined, you know, even in Cambodia where they didn't have any cars or rock and roll. You know, he, he thought that, you know, he, he was too far gone as far as he was concerned, you know. Um, that's a, I mean, don't talk about apocalyptic cults. I mean, they people like running around and like, you know, with 14 followers in the U.S. Uh, have nothing on a guy like Paul Pot, you know. So, you know, he managed to wipe out one third of the entire country. So, uh, you know, it, it, there's all different levels of scale on this. I mean, if you want to really talk about the king of all uh, would-be rock and rollers who uh, later became known as a cult leader is Charles Manson, totally. And uh, everybody, I mean, most people that have even a passing knowledge of, of Manson and his, uh, you know, know about him killing Roman Polanski's wife and all that stuff and um, Helter Skelter and this kind of stuff, because actually Manson, Manson actually rejected that Helter Skelter idea because he said he was really a Frank Sinatra fan. He didn't really like the Beatles. So, you know, so, um, but anyhow, it's, it might be interesting if you want to cue it up there, DJ, uh, to pick up a Manson song called Cease to Exist. Pretty girl, pretty, pretty girl. Cease to exist. Just come and say you love me. Give up your work. Come on, you can't be. I'm your kind, oh, your kind, I can see. Walk on, walk on. I love you, pretty girl. My life is yours, and you can have my world. Never had a lesson I ever learned. But I know we all get our turn. I love you. Never learn not to love you. Submission is a gift. Gone. Give it to your brother. Love and understanding is for one another. I'm your kind. I'm your kind. I'm your brother. Turn and I love you. Never learn not to love you. Never learn not to love you. Never learn not to love you. Not 
And of course, that was Charles Manson ceased to exist. And there's an interesting story behind that one. That song is a song that Manson played for Dennis Wilson. The, you know, of the Wilson brothers, of the Beach Boys, you know, probably, you know, some people would would go to their graves wearing that they were the greatest single American rock and roll band ever. I can't really complain with that because Brian Wilson was totally a genius. He, you know, he just is. So um, in any event, Dennis Wilson, the only Beach Boy that ever really surfed, um, was a kind of madman, like to ride around in his car in his very fast, cool-looking car, um, and pick up teenage hitchhikers and take them back to his apartment and um, his gigantic house. And, uh, you know, more or less, you know, if they wanted to screw, he was happy to do it. You know, so like, um, and uh, one day he picked up these two girls that happened to be Manson girls. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole business about the Manson girls, but um, the... uh, Madsen girls and they, he brought them back to his house and, uh, you know, did they did the deed of whoever. And then he said, look, I got to go out, but you guys can stay here and hang out if you want. So uh, Wilson came back home a few hours later and there was a gigantic bus, a big black bus out parked out in front of his house. And uh, there were all these Manson people in there <laughs> in his house. And, uh, and then Charlie came out and says, Oh, you're Dennis Wilson, man. You know, I'm a rock and roll guy too, man. Can I play you a song? And he said, Wilson is like, you know, oh, yeah, sure, man. <laughs> so like, um, and I, I don't know exactly the full legend of this, but one of the songs that he played him was this song called Cease to Exist. And Wilson said, I, I love that song, man. That's great. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the rest of the guys together and we're going to record that. So, um, he, the Beach Boys actually did record this song. It's, it no longer was called Cease to Exist. It's now called Never Learn Not to Love.
I guess after the Manson thing happened, they were desperate to get Manson's name off the record. <laughs> so so you, you have to look at this kind of stuff. And I know, I'm, I got to say, for the people that know about this stuff, they really tend to know a lot about it. So if I'm wrong about this, you know, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. Um, so, uh, you know, if you can listen to the Cease to Exist record, which is also available on Spotify and anyplace else, and, uh, and then you can hear the Beatles version, I mean, the Beast Boys version of it, which is called Never Learn Not to Love. And there's, um, there are a couple versions around, I do believe. One is a cappella, that they just sing the, the lyrics, which are somewhat changed, I think. But so you, you see how this stuff kind of leaks into, like a guy like Jeremy Spencer and Manson and the Beach Boys, you see how it leaks into uh, the mainstream all the time. Um, it's not, they're not just these lunatics uh, out there, you know, playing doing this campfire music because that might have been fine back in the 14th century but now we're living in the 21st century and the 20th century with all this tech stuff i mean one thing that people don't really understand or really know is that the record the the actual machinery to make records or recordings is um only about 110 years old you know in other words you couldn't hear any music at all except if you actually were there to watch it being played until around night, you know, on any kind of large level until around 1915 or something like that. So when you think about cult music and there and the re the range of this society building thing that these people are interested in doing, um, you have to keep that in mind. And it's so much easier now, obviously, and the, the leakage into the mainstream culture and that kind of crossover thing, becomes kind of interesting to, to track that mm -hmm. let me uh let me play you a, a tune here <sighs> course that's boney m, Boney -M. Um, are they german or something it's yeah there was some yeah i think they were german um, but they could have been swiss if you want to, to to find the origin of that song that you just heard you've got to go back to uh probably 2500 years ago at least i'm not exactly sure on the dates of the date that um see the the people of babylon you know, Nebuchadnezzar, these names may ring a, a, a dim bell from Sunday school or something like that. Um, they they attacked um, Israel, uh, what's now Israel, and, uh, and, and sacked Jerusalem back in 500 B.C. or something like that. So um, and they took away most they, they took away most of the a lot of the Jews that were living there. They made them what they called 
uh, which later became dimmies, which were like wards of the state because they weren't like in the, they weren't the Putin people, like, you know, just uh, the modern warfare where they just kill everybody. These people would go around and they would like take the valuable people and they would like bring them back. And these people from at that time in Jerusalem included a lot of these guys that became prophets in the Bible, including Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, um, Jeremiah. They're, these are all Babylonian captivity and captivity writers who who wrote and then had their stuff put in the uh, in the Bible, and. That's the way the like if anybody is interested in reggae music, which we'll get to in a second, that whole thing about Babylon, man, Babylon, that that whole idea of that bad thing is from that period of time. So um, this psalm, which is attributed to Jeremiah, I do believe, um, this is Psalm 30, 137 from the uh, from the Holy Bible. And the, the lyrics, the, the words are by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, where there were on the poplars, we sung, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked for his songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So um, now that, that um, is a classic situation of oppression, because not only are these guys holding you slaves, but they're asking you to sing songs that were very important to you in your real natural milieu of like living as a, you know, Hebrew in, in Jerusalem. Um, and they're mocking you by making you sing one of these songs, you know, and, and you've, you've seen the situation plenty of times, you know? So like, uh, it's kind of the opposite of when they sing the Marseillaise and, in Casablanca, because that's an act of that's an act of rebellion among the Germans that are holding the place. This is like a kind of total mockery, like you know, hey asshole, get up there and sing us one of the songs you used to like, you know, and the people wouldn't do it. So, um, and then you know, so this song became a kind of like very important song in certain colonial. This psalm for people, Bible readers in colonial settings became a big deal. And uh, probably the single greatest articulation of this song uh, appears uh, in a 1970 version of Rivers of Babylon by a group called the Melodians, which is uh, that song. If anybody has ever seen the movie, The Harder They Come, that song is in there. And uh, can you get that song?
So I would submit that that version is somewhat superior to the Boney M version, but you know, everybody has their own taste. Um, so you got this thing which comes really out of the deepest hearts of, uh, you know, group identity and stuff like that. And the Melodians are singing it as Rastafarians in Jamaica, a colonial society, and they are directly, you know, picking it up from this Babylonian captivity. They use the word captivity in the uh, in their song, which is not in the original psalm, for instance, because there was no way to, it was only after looking back that you can claim it was the Babylonian captivity. So when Boney M, you know, basically, I don't think there is, an, and they're, they're just machines. So they pick it up and they do whatever they do with it. And it, that's a hit song. Now, uh, now, that's a topic for another uh, session here. But, um, you know, when you get down to the cult level, the modern day cult level, you know, the power of those kind of that kind of history, even if you don't happen to know it, um, becomes very palpable. And uh, especially if you feel like you're the only people around and you're in an evil environment of the United States you live sort of like, say, in a place called Waco, Texas, you know, where, you know, you're not well liked, you know, and you're you're kind of a combative Seventh-day Adventist, Latter-day Seventh Adventist, like which called the Brant Davidians. So David Koresh, actually, who was a kind of a Manson-esque kind of figure in the terms that he had to make rock and roll songs to hold his group together, um, he recorded a record, a, a full album called Songs for Grandpa. And he actually does a version of um, Rivers of Babylon, which I hope we have here. Oh, we have it. Don't worry. One, two, three, four. Here it is. Rivers of Babylon by David Koresh. the time yeah we went we remember silence we hung up upon the wheels in the mystery for they did carry us away the quiet of us a song they did carry us captive the quiet of us birth Saying, sing unto us for songs of silence. How shall we sing the Lord's song of strange land? The land of the beast, oh, the land of man. Revelation 18 was. To rise above the sun, glorious throughout the land, long as we survive. Uh, 
If I ever forget the Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cutting. If I not make deep of my chief joy, let my tongue continue my mouth. Jerusalem, you are the apple of my eye. You are the passengers of life from the beginning. Heavens all to understand that you will stand forever. Revelation again, one the rising of the sun, glorious throughout the land. How long shall we serve? We shall return out of this land By the rivers of Babylon That we sit down Yea, we went When we remember Zion We hung up upon the wheels In the despair of for that it carried us away For quite of us a song They that carried us captive For quite of us birth Sing, sing unto us One of the songs of Zion How shall we sing the Lord's song In a strange land A land of peace Wow. That was like the <laughs> What'd you think of that? <laughs> yeah, it's unrecognizable. It was like the bar band ballad version or something. <laughs> the jam band version of this story. <laughs> but I mean if he was singing that as the ATF was like, you know storming his uh pet compound i don't know if he really rallied a lot of people you know but <laughs> but i mean you know he's trying i don't know you know it, it just seems interesting to me the way a song or a kind of feeling like that was like you know meandered through 25 years of history and 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 wind up uh you know with uh david koresh uh as and then you know what happened to him and you know I, which was actually clearly a nightmare um but it's it's just kind of fascinating but i don't know i mean 
he really took all the funk out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like he didn't realize why it was a good song. It's like he didn't realize why that was a good song, so he somehow managed to take out everything about it that was good. He he got all the words from the song. That's what his that was his source. He's a he's an originalist, you know, in that stupid way that people are, you know. So he he, uh, he made sure he got all the lyrics in, you know, because that was the Bible is the holy word. He didn't realize that popular music and what's in the Bible are two different things, my friend. So you know, yeah. Just to go back to Dwight York, because I think it's really kind of like an interesting comparison, because York is a Mr. York is currently, sir, is currently you can go talk to him now if you write a letter, because he's currently incarcerated in the Supermax prison in Florence, Colorado, where he shares uh, probably is, you know, 20 feet away from the Unabomber and a few other Arab terrorists where they stick these people. Uh, Dwight York was convicted of uh similarly to david koresh in a lot of ways um from the point of view of the the authorities um Blake york was convicted he's the largest i do believe it still holds a record the largest single child molestation case in the history of the united states uh dwight york is a a guy who starts with a in from out of the what they call the moorish movement of black black culture um, that that's part of the black came out of the black Muslims and uh, it, it, it it's something that has run through black culture in America at least for the past hundred years um, in in various circumstances everywhere from Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali to people like Dwight York and um, so York you know he's got at least twenty uh, actually the uh, the entry about him. On Wikipedia, of all things, is not that it's it's a decent thing. You should probably, if you want to catch up on who Dwight York is, you should probably read that because it's it um, it does introduce the topic in a lot of ways. Um, he's a guy who's written over like over two hundred books. He's got about twenty aliases. He's most well known, I guess, as the Doctor Malachi Z York, uh, which he added an E to the name York, and. Um, there are many, many other um, Arabic and non-Arabic um, aliases. So one of the things about Dwight York is he, a lot of these people, they start a cult and then they want to get into show business because they kind of realize the uh, the connection there. Um, Dwight York wanted was in show business and he went then when he failed as um, more or less failed, um, he uh, then he began doing this other stuff. So and or it was slightly there was an overlap there. But uh, York York was uh, York was a it was he came up basically during the disco period. So these songs won't sound anything like the kind of other cult songs which are trying to really you know tug it you know like the way the Koresh sang that song. He's trying to get those people to buy into that thing, regardless of how horrible the version of the song is. So um, uh, York and disco music, at least as, as practiced by a lot of kind of third and fourth grade practitioners like Dwight York, um, is really kind of impersonal. And the whole idea is you're supposed to move around on the dance floor and not really think too much about the music. What was the name of his hits, um, non-hits? Um, 
Don't don't stop the something. I can't remember. Don't stop my love by passion. Don't stop my love. And then it was a it was a kind of follow up one, which actually charted at number forty three on the uh, R and B charts. Um, so maybe we could play a little bit of that, um, just so then we talk a little bit more about him. Yeah, it definitely did not sound like Charles Manson or uh, David Koresh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, it's a, it's a kind of, um, I mean, you can hear, I mean, you can't really say this because lyrics of songs are neither here nor there. You just want to make the words rhyme sort of, but I mean, there's words, there's little things like, you know, you can't stop it. You know, it's going to take over, but, um, the, oh, uh, sure. Definitely knowing where he ended up, the lyrics take on like some of the lyrics take on like a different more sinister meaning. See, the thing is that, like, you come out of a certain kind of, you're trying to attract the people that you want to attract. So if you think that white people are the blue-eyed devils, you know, if you're going to go with this Barry White type thing, you know, uh, you know uh, it's kind of like, and if you see pictures of Dwight York during this period, I mean, he actually does look a lot like Barry White. So, like, uh, so, I mean, much, much more put together in a lot of ways. But, uh he's not fat or he's like looks like a kind of lover boy type so um but you know so then he uh shortly after this record and and this was recorded by a group called dwight york and the passion sometimes just called the passion and uh but shortly after this i think this record came out and i'm not exactly sure what the date of this tune is but dwight york did other things like he 
took his uh, their um, they're, they're kind of Egyptologists, uh, what they call comedic uh, believers that uh, the real uh, civilization of the world starts in Egypt, which is a lot of stuff right out of the kind of Elijah Muhammad playbook and stuff like that. And uh, and uh, there's still a, a Dwight York kind of inspired uh, temple on Bushwick Avenue. For those who are listening to this that live in New York, you can go right past and it's freshly painted. Somebody's keeping it up as Dwight, as the great leader is wows away the rest of his days. And in the Supermax, you know, they're they're still, you know, going there. And, and there's always a table among the many tables of booksellers on 125th Street, which is the main drag of Harlem, uh, where they always have like booksellers to sell these kind of, you know, black oriented material. Um, you know, there's always a, a, a they call it now, I think they're called the Nuwabians. That's the name of his group. And, um, you know, there's the book Nuwabian uh, bookseller who's selling the six million books written attributed to Dwight York, of which several are straight out of the normal uh, conspiracy, you know, what we would consider normal conspiracy stuff. You know, he's got stuff about how we didn't land on the moon. He's got all, you know, A to Z, the whole thing. So, um, and, uh, you know, and he's a fascinating figure in a sense because, you know, it's, he adopted some of the, uh, some of the some of the traits of of, of these dominantly white you know uh, white oriented uh, groups and and kind of translated into this black thing or the other way around I'm not really sure you know if these things work together you never really can parse them out but uh, he's just he's just very little known and people talk about him, Manson and Koresh and all these things nobody he's never mentioned basically because. Nobody ever pays attention to them. But if you go uptown, everybody knows who Dwight York is. And so, uh, or at least, you know, to say two things about him. Oh, yeah, that guy. You know, so it's just a fascinating thing. Have you um, seen the pictures of his compound in oh, yeah. Georgia? The Tamaray. Tamaray, yeah. It's pretty crazy. The big black pyramid and everything. Um, like, he really... You know, that's the mark of a great cult leader is. <laughs> he could build his own city. Mm -hmm. He got his. Uh, I once wanted to make a movie about this, um, but it, uh, he once he got his followers from Harlem and Brooklyn and said, we're not going to put up with this crap anymore. Um, we're going to go. Uh, we're going to go build our own our own world. And he it's in Putnam County, Georgia. I don't know what the demographics are of Putnam County, Georgia, but um, the uh, and they built this whole, you know, kind of Disneyland of Dwight York philosophy. Um, and it lasted only a couple of years. I have a feeling that um, there was some local pressure and maybe they just ran out of money and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just like he's, he's really a, a for anybody who's interested in these kind of cult and fringe groups. I mean, you know, studying the Dwight York story is really a sort of, um, you know, it's imperative, I say, because he's been unfairly neglected. <laughs> Was, is he one of the figures, you know, you talk about the Moors, Moors Science Temple and like that whole. Yeah, he comes out of that. 
does he specifically kind of influence hip hop music like in a direct way or? Well, I don't, you know, that's a good question because, um, you know, if you look at the, I mean, for instance, anybody who is really wants to talk about this, uh, in a, when I think people in my, in the, my readings and my say 35 years of listening to hip hop music, maybe more now, it's kind of strange that hip hop music has been around for almost 50 years, but, uh, from since Cool Herc in the South Bronx, uh, which is in the late the late 1970s now. So, um, but all those guys, and you can just run through the names of them, like Nas and, you know, Mob Deep and, and Wu-Tang for sure. All these, all these Eastern-based, almost all Eastern-based uh Hip hop people are, and that could have been one of the big, big, big uh, reasons why there was this East Coast West Coast battle. You know, that remember that back in the nineties or so, that supposedly was behind, uh, or at least had some factor in the deaths of Tupac Shakur and uh, Biggie Smalls. Um, you could, you could. It's because it's because the Eastern people, the the scientists, the people like wise, intelligent, and you know all these guys uh, I mean really anybody you can mention um, were followers of the five percenter movement the five percenter movement comes straight out of out of uh, the black Muslims in fact the founder of the five percenter movement a guy named Clarence 13x who later became father Allah uh, he was working at the temple number seven on 116th Street in Harlem when Malcolm X was the um, chief minister there. So, and then they kicked him out because he liked to smoke weed and a few other things that were against the rules. So he just started his own religion more or less and uh, picking up many of the things from the, those teachings and, uh, but you were allowed to smoke weed. So then you suddenly like, you know, his mind expand. You got, you got, the discipline, the idea that white people were not the original people, you know, that black people were the original people and that all that cosmology and, uh, you know, crisis cults kind of stuff. Not saying it's not true, please. I, you know, it could be true. And um, the uh, and then you merge that with weed smoking and you've got. Oh my! How can you fail to start a movement? So <laughs> it's going to happen, you know, because <laughs> people, people just—I mean, uh, one thing about marijuana, and you know, I probably get in trouble for saying this, but one thing about marijuana, and I am a stoner from way back, um, is that there's no doubt in the world that it makes you paranoid. It does make you. This is an underrated factor of of the entire reason why people are hate everybody. I mean, it's like a drug of love, but in the end of the day, it points out all the hypocrisy and the conspiracy stuff that the other side of people you don't like are trying to, to, to screw you. And, um, you know, not all the time, of course, you know, but it does have that aspect to it. And if you look through it, you'll find a lot of paranoid thinking that among stoners you know regardless of how they express it so um you know there's so there you got this movement of people that are 
I mean, that's one of the main reasons why Bill Cooper, William Cooper's, that's how we first met Lenny and I, because I wrote this book about Bill Cooper, this uh, radio guy, um, and sort of like the father of the truth movement. But one of the, one of the great claims to fame for his book, Behold the Pale Horse, was that it was the most read book in prison among black people. It was not among white people. I mean, I don't care what you people out there in, uh, you know, Bill Cooper followers in uh, Great Britain or wherever, <laughs> you know, this was like, you know, because it was like he was he was speaking right to the prisoner. In other words, like we are prison, we are imprisoned by things that we both understand and don't understand. And uh, and that was very uh, it, it was very palpable to people that are already in prison. And if you're a black person in America, you know, you're right. To, you know, I think it's that's a good reason to be paranoid. So, uh, you know, so this just played into that whole thing. So that whole business with the, the Cooper stuff kind of runs through this cult, the, you know, and the five percenters, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Prodigy, the guy from Mob Deep, you know, who wrote, he and his, his, his buddy wrote probably the most effectively fear, the Shook Ones part two is probably the most scary, pop, one of the greatest scary hip hop songs of all time. Hold up, son. Word. Yeah. To all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, because who ain't got no feelings. Feelings. Check it out now. Stuck off the realness, we be the infamous, you heard of us, official Queensbridge murderers, the mob comes equipped for warfare, beware of my crime family who got enough shots to share for all those, who wanna profile and pose, rock you in your face, stab your brain with your nose bone, you all alone in these streets cousin, every man for theyself in his land, we be gunning, and keep them shook crews running, like they supposed to, they come around but they never come close to, I can see it inside your face, you're in the wrong place, cowards like you just get they whole body laced up with bullet holes and such. Speak the wrong words, man, and you will get touched. You can put your whole army against my team, and I guarantee you it'll be your very last time breathing. Your simple words just don't move me. You're minor, we major. You all up in the game and don't deserve to be a player. Don't make me have to call your name out. We cool as featherweight. My gunshots will make you levitate. I'm only 19, but my mind is older. When the things get for real, my warm heart turns cold. Enough nigga deceased, another story gets told. It ain't nothing really. And yo, done sparked the Philly so I could get my mind off these yellow back niggas while they still alive I don't know go figure meanwhile back in Queens the realness and foundation if I die I couldn't choose a better location when the slugs penetrate you feel a burning sensation getting closer to God in a tight situation now take these words home and think it through or the next rhyme I write might be about you Sunday shook cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks scared to death and scared to look they shook cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks Scared 
For every rhyme I write, it's 25 to life. It was so much to get to trust, safeguard on my life. Ain't no time for hesitation. The only leads to incarceration. You don't know me, there's no relation. Queens, red gems, you don't play. I don't got time for your petty thinking mind, son. I'm bigger than those. Claiming that you pack heat, but you're scared to hold. And with the smoke clears, you'll be left with one and you don't. 13 years in the projects, my mentality is what, kid? You talk a good one, but you don't want it. Sometimes I wonder, do I deserve to live? Or am I going to burn the hell for all the things I did? No time to dwell on that, cause my brain reacts. Front if you want, kid, lay on your back. I don't fake jacks, kid, you know I bring it to your life. Stay in a child's place, kid, you out of line. Criminal minds thirsty for recognition. I'm sipping, E and J got my mind flipping. I'm bucking, think I'm always out of hope for hustling. Get that loot, kid, you know my function. As long as I'm alive, I'm a live illegal. And once I get on them, I put on all my people's react with lyrics like Max. I hit your dome up when I roll up the beat, go sleep because I'm free. Son, this ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death, and scared to look. They shook. This ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death, and scared to look. They shook. This ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death, and scared to look. They shook. This ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Living the life that bombs and guns. There's numerous ways you can choose to earn funds. Some get shot, locked down, and turn guns. So, you know, you listen to that, and it, you know, the image is like some kind of film noir, people like walking around. It's not the safe territory. Um, you know, the lighting is it's in black and white for sure. You know, and so. So, I mean, this guy, the guy that's rapping there, Mr. Prodigy, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, because he was a great genius. Um, uh, I asked him, I talked to him, I interviewed him and I said, is it true that you read Behold the Pale Horse four times? He said, no, that's not true. I said, really? And he said, I read it six times <laughs> because I want to, because he said that before he was, stood up there, he wanted to be right and correct, which is a five percent of term. You know, you want to be right and correct, you know, to build, which is also another five percent of term to build your whatever thesis you're coming up with here. And that comes straight out of the pot smoking land of Clarence 13X, which is uh, that guy, Dwight York, is kind of like a. You know, he's a weird offshoot of all that kind of thinking. And uh, because he's got so much ego that he can't, you know, give it up to the other people. He's got to be the boss. And I think that's a combustible. That's a combustible combination there. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he really assaulted 235 underage women or men. Or, but, you know, he's in Florence right now, probably thinking all about it or not. Because he's still writing books, even from there. So uh, you know, he's a he's a, as I say again, he's a he's a topic for further research. <laughs> so anyhow, um, why don't you play a cut from uh, from the People's Choir Choir? But now 
I mean, you know, uh, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's that's Jim Jones. You know, that's Jim Jones's church before they go to Guyana and kill themselves. Um, so, you know, 900 and something people kill themselves. Probably some of them were in that choir singing that song. So uh, you uh, think about this cult music stuff. And, uh, you know, it's about building community. Nothing builds community like gospel music. I mean, it just does. And, and in fact, you could say, I mean, it depends on how you feel about Christianity, but you could say that almost every hymn ever written is a cult piece of cult music. So, like, um, you know, you could do that. Uh, I don't think that would be very profitable, but you could say that. Um, you know, and uh, this kind of stuff, I mean, this is like pretty much not, it's not as, it's not the soul stirs or uh, the Dixie hummingbirds, but it's good. You know, it's, 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 if you walked into a church and you heard that, you'd be happy. So uh, Jim Jones is, you know, the, the uh, director of that band. He's the one that put them together. He's the one that gives them the love that they can express, you know, and uh, he's also the one that tells them to drink the Kool-Aid. So you're dealing with these very, uh, complex situations especially when you look at it from a cultural point of view um about these cult leaders so you know i think that your guy gabriel i mean certainly play one of his tunes i mean uh, i don't know where he fits into this but he he seems to be um it's mostly all about him so that's 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 kind of a lower form of uh, cult music i would say you know but but uh they're i don't mean to denigrate him i mean maybe he's a great artist we just don't see it <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe <laughs> but i mean the other thing is like it's like very confusing music when you add music into a um an existing thesis you know it, it just blows up your dialectic because it it uh it appeals to on so many different levels you know you could be listening to uh i mean i don't know some people like the Rolling Stones. Some people like the Beatles. You know, it was like, uh, it, 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 and you don't even know why. I mean, in, intellectually, yeah, I want to like the Rolling Stones because the Beatles are sappy. But, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. You know, it's just, there's a lot of questions to be brought in there. And, you know, you can't, I don't think you can really put a, gr a group together that's without this component or something else, you know. I mean, you could, what other art form is there that that does this? I mean, you can have a cult of painters. I don't know. You know, uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to work because by the time you start painting your picture, you know, you're going to be doing your own thing. You're not doing it with other people. So um, the, the the collectiveness of it, the uh, and and even and even with a guy like Gabriel, I mean. Once he's singing a song and everybody's in the part of the chorus where everybody's singing together, you know, you're getting that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we probably should go out here with, um, you see it, it, actually, you can find this on Spotify. I think it's called Alien Visitors Attack. They won't even tell anybody who is the author of this tune.
I don't know. How many people can guess who the author of that comp- that composition is? Just raise your hands. Uh, well, it's L. Ron Hubbard, and it's the, apparently it's the soundtrack to Battlefield Earth. So they did a soundtrack album for that book called Space Jazz. Yeah, well, I don't know if he really winds up doing it, but he's the guy. But you can find a picture of him. It's a black and white picture with with a. I think it's a Fender. I don't want to get that wrong, you know, because that's another one of those topics. Like you get the kind of guitar wrong, then like you're totally canceled from the culture wars, you know, forever and ever. But it, but it's it's it, it it just looks like an old guy playing rock and roll and really being into it. So um, you know, it's just and and you see the genius, so to speak, of L. Ron Hubbard because I don't know when this happened, but I mean that's really just a. I mean that's a that's a soundtrack for a video game, right? I mean, uh, it's 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 very modern, in the sense that a lot of these other things isn't are not, and uh, it just uh, you know it it it, 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 en- it enables the Scientology mind to uh, function in a way that uh, it wants to. So you know, it's just there are a lot of it's um there are a lot of different kinds of this kind of stuff. And uh, you probably can have a com- completely uh, fun time listening to it. Although, wait a minute, hold the phone. There's somebody we forgot, who, uh, which both of us are uh, sort of a fan of, so to speak. Uh, Mr. Mel Lyman. Mel Lyman, I mean, uh, uh, why don't you tell a Mel Lyman story? Um, Boston, right? Boston. Yeah, founder of the Fort Hill community. So the early 60s, he like was in this like New York City folk scene and um, he ended up joining Jim Questions Jug Band, which are based out of Boston. Jim Questions Jug Band was uh, speaking of somebody who happened to be there since I'm 74. <laughs> um, Jim Questions was like, I mean, if you were a young hippie in New York, would be hippie because the hippies hadn't come around yet. Um, if you wanted to differentiate yourself from the beatniks who were the reigning uh you know subcult uh you know non-mainstream group that you wanted to be part of because you wanted to be cool you know they were never going to take you in because they were a bunch of snobs they were like they were all about like you know we're the cool people and you're not sort of like the andy warhol stuff came out of that that's why i always have never liked that kind of thing because it was so exclusive but by the time, uh, you know, I came of age, which is like in this world, like 15 or 16, and you begin smoking marijuana in high school, you know, there was this great new thing called the hippies. So that, they take anybody. So, you know, you were in. You just had to grow your hair long and you were in. And, um, and you didn't even have to grow your hair long, but yeah, you do have to grow your hair long. So Jim Queskin, who was uh, played this kind of updated retro kind of jug band music because jug band music had been a staple of American uh, black people and in, in the, in the, they didn't have enough instruments. So they played these drug jugs and you can make it sound all these different weird ways. Like, you know, when you blow on top of a Coca-Cola uh, half drunk Coke, uh, bottle of Coca-Cola it makes a lot of sounds. So uh, this was like, and you get to be an artist at doing this. So uh, Jim Queskin, uh, you know, a, uh, 
nice white boy from Boston and uh, people there. This was a became a fairly famous band, especially after it was after uh, Maria Moldar, who people may remember, uh, joined it and she was one hot number. So we all us boys thought that was great. And um, and then this Mel Lyman guy came along and he was a, he was mostly a harmonica player. And they recorded several songs, but Lyman later became uh, a cult leader and uh, the best, probably the most uh, comprehensive uh, account of his cult thing is in a book called Acid, Post-Acid Fascism. Who wrote that? You remember? Uh, David Felton. Is it David Felton? Yeah. yeah. So David Felton was an old Rolling Stone, one of the original Rolling Stone writers. He wrote this book called Post Acid Fascism, in which Mel Lyman was a major figure in. And um, so here's a here's a there are a bunch of recordings that they did that he did when he was with the Jim Queskin band. There's one here called Dark as a Dungeon. I don't know this material that well, but I think we should probably play it. You know, just yeah. Anything called Dark as a Dungeon has to be. Yeah. Like a flea with his door. 
a drunkard is wine. A man must have lust for the lure of the mind, for it's darkest the dungeon in the where the dangers are double and the pleasures are few, where the rain never falls and the sun never shines. It's dark as a dungeon way down in. Yeah, yeah, it was like, yeah, that's that album. So, so Mel Lyman, 
like moved to Boston and got, you know, that was while Timothy Leary was doing the drug experimentation at Harvard across the river and um, in Cambridge. And, you know, what uh, uh, Mel really took to it and he called what his book was autobiography of a world savior. And, and he just, yeah, he created the Ford Hill community, which I think still exists in some form, although Ford Hill doesn't still exist. And, um, but yeah, Jim Queskin's America is the name of the album and it's credited to, it's credited to Jim Queskin co-starring Mel Lyman and the Lyman family. That's right. The Lyman family. Well, I don't know, Lenny. See, if you were uh, walking down the street and you heard some people playing this music that you thought was really wonderful and you walked in and you got this cult vibes, would you stay even if the music was that great? I I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think about this stuff so much now that it's I'm just <laughs> I run from everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy in this country at this time. I don't know if it's if it's different or the same as 50 years ago, but I can't meet anybody without finding someone who was in a cult or had a relative in a cult. It's just like, I don't know if it's just me or if it's the culture at large, but it just seems to be everywhere. It's probably both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is a cover of Gabriel Viranja's hit song Energy Master by Shy Boys out of Philadelphia and it's the darndest thing I was getting ready to record the episode with Mark Jacobson today and I got an email from Max from the Shy Boys who was like we recorded a cover album called American Idols and it's the music of American cults. So music from the Children of God, 12 Tribes, Synanon, Father Yod and the Soyuz family, Jim Jones, and it's quite an album. I, I got him on the phone and we spoke a little bit about it. Here it is.
like everyone knows, you know, about the Charles Manson story and how he was an aspiring songwriter. But then if you look into any of these other cults, it's like they were all aspiring songwriters. It's really weird, you know? So that's basically the idea. We just took, we did 13 songs because it's auspicious. We could have done more, you know, we could have done a hundred, but it's like every cult has music attached to it. And that's because it's religious, but also because, yeah, there's some weird like narcissistic rock star stuff going on also. But it's very consistent. Why did you pick certain songs or not pick certain songs? Um, and do you have a favorite? I don't remember like what was the first um, song, but I have a feeling that it was uh, we covered a song by um, David Koresh. I, you know, there's like all these documentaries and there's a, a little mini series about Waco. And um, I don't know, somehow I, I found his song that he recorded Madman in Waco. And it's like this great 80s rock song. And I don't it's weird because the lyrics like basically are kind of talking about like what's going on during the siege. And I, I was like, did he record this before or after? Um, you know, it doesn't matter, but it's it's a really good song. And I was like, I don't know, I just made a cover of it. And then um, I was like, why don't why don't we do like a whole album of this? And then a lot of the songs um, actually uh, Max picked out. And there's a couple that we we're already fans of like uh, we cover a song by uh, Dr. York, or he's also known as Malachi Z. York of the Nuwabian Nation and various other names. Um, we've been a fan of his uh, cult, I guess, you know, for a, for a while. And it's just he happened to be also a, just a great like R&B singer. The only artist that I don't recognize on on the album is Wolf Zendik. Who's that? So there's this. uh zendik farms so they used to like um they used to like proselytize they were weird like i don't think they were explicitly religious but um they used to like have like stands and booths in philly and dc i met them and they would like sell t-shirts and tapes of this guy's music but i remember at the time like i i met them when i was in high school and i remember googling them and all the stuff at the time in the early 2000s was like, yeah, this is a cult. This is a cult. And uh, one of the former members wrote a book. It, it, it followed like the typical cult trajectory, like a weird like sex abuse, like compound situation in the South type thing. Well, definitely let me know if any either cult leaders contact you or, um, people want to become followers of yours for some reason, because I think that would be a fascinating follow-up. Do you think that um, Gabriel of Urantia will stumble across our thing and what will he do when he does or if he does, or, or should we send it to him? Should we be scared? No, I think he'll go ape shit. I think you'll, you'll get a letter from a lawyer. So Uh but then could we, could we then publish that letter on Instagram just for, Of course, yes. Yeah. You want my permission, or (laughs) you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Well, Um, here's the yeah, yeah. I mean, that raises an interesting question because, like, Charles Manson's dead, and L. Ron Hubbard's dead, but like most of these people are dead except for him. He's the only one. Oh, he's the only one. Or if they're not dead, they're in jail, like uh, Malachi Z. York, Malachi, uh, the Supermax facility in Colorado. Yeah. Malachi York, is he before when he was Malachi York? Um, when he, you know, when he became a guru or whatever, was he still making music? I know that he had a band before. 
Yeah, so like the one we covered was he, he put out a couple albums as Dr. York in like the 80s and 90s and the, the cult was fully like, yeah, they were like in full swing. I'm sure he used like the finances from his followers to pay for it, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't think any record labels were knocking him his door down <laughs> trying to trying to land a record contract with him. Thanks for listening to Failed State Update. I am Joseph L. Flatley. My co-host, J.G. Michael, will be back next time. Make sure to check out the show notes for all the relevant links. And thank you. <laughs>